aid suit, Lomans, circa 1983. I had gotten all dressed up for the Mick, the way I did when I wore my Mary Janes on opening day of the baseball season. I remembered being underdressed for the occasion. That's why I needed his sweater. I remembered wearing cotton, not suede. Confronted with this disconcerting shard of videographic truth, the story I had told so often began to unravel, like the yarn wound around the hard center of an official Major League Baseball. I rushed to have another look at the sweater in my office. Somehow, I had never noticed the L stitched into the collar. Shouldn't Mickey's sweater have been at least an extra-large or an extra-extra-large? If my memories didn't match the evidence... What else might have gotten blurred by the hero worship of childhood? Did he give me the shirt off his back? Or did I invent a kinder, warmer, bigger Mick, the Mick I wanted him to be? I believe in memory, not memorabilia. Mickey's sweater is the only artifact I kept from my tenure as a sports writer. Memorabilia is a goal, a get, an end in itself leading nowhere except to the next acquisition. Memory is a process, albeit a faulty one. Mantle began burrowing into American memory the moment he stepped onto the public stage in 1951. Blonde and blue-eyed, with a coast-to-coast smile, he was an unwitting antidote to the darkness and danger embodied by that other 50s icon, Elvis Presley. Mickey Charles Mantle was born on October 20th, 1931. But like the sweater hanging in my office, Mickey Mantle is a blend of memory and distortion, fact and fiction, repetition and exaggeration. However far Mantle's home runs traveled, his acolytes remembered them going farther. However great his pain, they remembered it as more disabling. In a life so publicly led... The accretion and reiteration of fable and detail are as thick as fifty years of paint jamming an old windowsill. My challenge was to strip away the layers and let in the air. As much as anyone, the photographer Ozzie Sweet was responsible for how Mantle is remembered. Sweet first photographed him in the spring of 1952, when his boyish blemishes still required retouching. With his tripod and his old-fashioned view camera, the same equipment Matthew Brady used in the Civil War, Sweet produced portraits for 1,700 magazine covers, but was known best for the confections he created for Sport magazine. His specialty was what he called simulated action, set pieces choreographed to evoke heroes and hero worship. Every spring, he and Mantle would get together and decide how to expand the sweet trove of Mantle iconography. What do you think, Mick? Sweet would ask. Can we stage this and make it look real? He always shot from below, the angle of icons, rendering his subjects larger than life. Clouds and foliage were banished from the frame. Nothing was allowed to clutter the image. His photos look as if they could have been taken anywhere, anytime. The context is timelessness. In 1968, the last spring of his career, Mantle posed before a lavender sky 
with a Louisville slugger resting lightly on his shoulder. Only the slugger in the redoubtable trademark is visible beneath his grip on the unsullied wood. Hand on hip, in a posture of feigned informality, he gazes over his shoulder into a purple distance with just the barest hint of cumulus cloud on the horizon. Tufts of blonde hair on his chiseled forearms shimmer in the glow from an unseen source of light. Beneath the smudged bill of his cap, Mantle's brow is puckered with age. The grain of his black leather belt is worn and punctured with asymmetrical holes added to accommodate the passage of time. Sweet says it was one of Mantle's favorite pictures. It was also a template for a no-dirt-under-the-fingernails hero whose image would continue to be airbrushed long after his death. The Mantle postage stamp issued by the U.S. Post